Hello, everyone. This is David Leet, and welcome to Authors Answers, the show that puts your favorite authors and food writers right where they belong, front and center, and I guess you could say at the kitchen table here. Have you ever walked through the supermarket when no one's looking and toss a few frozen dinners or maybe a prepared meal into your cart? Come on, say it with me. I know you have. Say it. Yes, you have. And the reason why I know you have is because I have. Sometimes I just don't feel like cooking. And I know it's heresy, but I've done it a few times. But, you know, there are plenty of folks out there who just do this on a weekly basis, sometimes even a daily basis. They're so fearful of cooking, they don't even bother going into the kitchen, except for maybe like a tour of duty of the the microwave. So our guest today has witnessed such a thing in her supermarket one day, and then she decided to do the absolute, utterly unthinkable thing. She approached a fellow shopper, a complete stranger, and she helped this stranger shop for nutritious, fresh ingredients, which this whole experience then turned into a cooking school, which then turned into a book. So our guest is Kathleen Flynn, and her book is The Kitchen Counter Cooking School, How a Few Simple Lessons Transformed Nine Culinary Novices into Fearless Home Cooks. Welcome, Kathleen. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Can you recount that experience, that first one in the supermarket? Yeah, it uh, it happened on an otherwise average Tuesday afternoon. And I was just wandering through my supermarket and I saw this cart. And I have to admit, I am one of those people who looks in other people's carts. But I don't know. Doesn't everybody do that? Like look in somebody's cart and uh, people's carts and they kind of think, wow, really? That many ding-dongs? Well, really? Yeah, and sometimes I do and, and try to feel superior. <laughs> okay, so here you are passing judgment on this person's cart. And what did you see in it? Uh, it had boxes and boxes and boxes of, well, and this is what was interesting. They weren't food. I mean, it was sort of boxes of kits to help hamburger and, you know, dried pasta mixes and those jars of gravy, which I always find very dubious. And But I looked at it and I actually at first thought, well, this can't really be somebody's cart because nobody mm. would have these many, this many boxes. One of those end cap sale carts, right? Yeah, or like it was a Half restocking price. cart, right? Like they were going to go and like put all this stuff back up on the shelf. So maybe that was it. So I was having this whole thought because there was no food in the cart. Mm-hmm. And then a woman came and got it with her daughter, her 11-year-old daughter. So I was so curious about this cart and this woman that I followed her. So I, I decided to see what else she might find. You know, what else you might buy, and which I, I think is kind of creepy. And, uh, really, it's a little it's strange stalking, stalking although, someone in the supermarket. Uh, yeah, although I actually was out in San Francisco, and, and a person from Berkeley told me that it is actually called Action Research. Action Research. So it's not stalking. Right. So it has a name now. Right. So I, I followed her and actually went through the maze of the supermarket. And it was interesting because actually she led me through parts of the supermarket that I don't normally go down. Um, How did you approach her and say, look at your food? Yeah. So what happened was after following her for a while, I she actually came up to where I was standing in the meat department because I kind of thought she might be on to me. And I knew that she had all these like hamburger helper kits. So I okay. thought she's going to need to get hamburger at some <laughs> point. I mean, other unless it was like one of those. Do you remember that movie with Vacation where he yeah. said – I yeah. don't know why they call it hamburger helper because it does just fine on its own. I, she didn't look like one of those types. Okay. So, so I thought, well, I'll go to the meat department and kind of wait and see what happens. And, and as it turned out, she did. She bought hamburger, but then she walked right next to me and grabbed a package of boneless, skinless chicken breast. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, gosh, can you believe how expensive chicken breasts are these days? Crazy. 
and she took this package. And I thought, well, she talked to me first, right? Right. So, so therefore, the door was opened. Exactly. So I said, hey, you know, whole chickens are on sale. They're only 99 cents a pound, I think, you know, says a stalker. And, um, and she just looked at me as if that was the craziest thing that she had ever heard. That what would she pot? And she even said, I would have no idea what to do with a whole chicken. So somehow or another, I convinced her that I was not trying to sell her a timeshare in front of the turkey kielbasa. (laughs) And we got her to go over to the butcher and the butcher showed her how to cut up this chicken. And then he rewrapped it for her and gave it back to her. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, another shopper saved. Yay. You know, and and she just looked at me and said, kind of whispered, I don't know what to do with the rest of the chicken. Mm-hmm. I only cook with chicken breast. Okay. And, but thank you. You know, like this was really nice of you. She was really actually very nice about it. And I just thought, I can't let this woman get away without knowing what to do with her chicken. And mm-hmm. as it turned out, they were selling the paperback version of my first book, The Sharper Your Knife, The Less You Cry, right. in the supermarket. So I told her to wait. I ran. I got a copy. I came back and I told her, I'm not trying to sell you a book. I will buy you this book. In fact, it'd be a very long way to sell a book. (laughs) I said, but I want you to have it because there's a recipe in here for braised mustard chicken. And you could use, you know, the thighs and the legs. And it's a very inexpensive recipe. It's easy. And, and then there's another one for stock and, you know, whatever. And she was, I think really amazingly said, okay, yeah, I I could do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but in order to make that dish, she needed Real food. Right. Like an onion. And not boxes. Right. An onion, carrot, celery. So we went to the produce department and then we ended up having a longer discussion and and started talking about why she made the choices she did. And mm-hmm. as we did that, we started to slowly clear out some of the boxes from her cart. And I started writing recipes on the okay. fly in the notebook that I always carry and and started putting some of that stuff away and buying real ingredients. And I did, in fact, buy her that book. I, I went to the supermarket, the checkout. And she's like, no, 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 I'll do it. And I'm like, no. And I, I, I did. I bought her. And did you ever follow up with her? No, because I actually thought it was creepy enough that I followed her around the supermarket. <laughs> you didn't want to ask for her number. <laughs> it might be like Kathy Bates and, hey, can I have your phone number? Because now I can come over and, you know, I'll be your number one, like, kitchen helper. And I'll hobble <laughs> so, you. Exactly. So how did you jump from that to then finding nine cooks, teaching them how to cook? That afternoon really stuck with me. It made me realize that I don't really know that much about how what we would consider to be average, and I put kind of air quotes around that, average air or typical. Bunnies. Yeah, exactly. You know, how people cook. And, and I started to do a lot of research. I mean, at my heart, I'm a reporter, and I wanted to understand what's happened to home cooking. I mean, where did we get to a place, and how did we get here that people eat out of boxes? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of, the, one of the boxes this woman had in her cart was for something called pasta parmesan. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even figure out what the box was supposed to make. You know, was mm-hmm. it a sauce? What was it? So I called the company, the 800 number, and I had some woman, and I said, what is this? And she put me on hold, and she said, it's supposed to approximate the flavor of pasta that has been tossed with some olive oil and some Parmesan cheese. Really? And it had 28 ingredients in that box. Mm. Two different kinds of corn syrup, partially hydrogenated you know, soybean oil, all kinds of sodium, dyes, etc., to approximate three ingredients. And you had to add margarine or oil to the box. So That's another ingredient. Which made me just think, you know, 
I believe everybody has it in them to boil some pasta Mm -hmm. and toss it with some olive oil and Parmesan cheese. But why would people not think they had that ability? And I became so, I guess, slightly obsessed about it and just so passionate trying to find this out that I couldn't find any research projects that answered that question. So I decided to go make my own. And I was watching What Not to Wear one night with my husband, which... I should. I mean, he made. I made him watch it. I want to protect his. Well, I actually don't watch television very often, but we just happen to be watching it, and um, I need to protect his masculinity. That I was watching it, and made him watch it, and um, but if you're not familiar with the show, what they do is they go through your closets and they look at everything, and then they have right. you try on outfits and say, "What would you normally wear?" They like go shopping or do whatever, and then they give tips, and then they follow up with people. And so I decided to do kind of a culinary what not to wear, but I needed to find the people. And, and at first I, I advertised on Craigslist and I, you know, didn't kind of, I started talking to people and found a couple of people that way, friends of friends. But then I went on a radio show in Seattle with a couple of celebrity chefs, um, Tom Douglas and yeah. Thierry Rogero. And from there I actually had quite a, a large response of dozens of people who were interested. And from there I, I had selected Called nine. Down to nine. Yeah. Okay. So explain the basic plan of attack that you used for this kitchen cabinet and refrigerator makeover. Mm -hmm. What did you do in these homes? Well, primarily what I was doing was observation. I wanted to understand how did they shop and what did they buy and, you know, what were their feelings about food? So I I went through and I cataloged and did an inventory of everything, you Mm. know, and, and, and and made some really interesting discoveries about sort of habits that people have and shopping habits. And then Watched them cook, which was fascinating. There were a lot of, you know, their go-to meals involved things like, you know, frozen lasagna and, uh, or my favorite, which was white trash garlic bread. Are you familiar with right. that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know what it is. <laughs> Not that I've ever eaten it, but yeah. I do know what it is. But yeah, it's just that hamburger and bun. Were their refrigerators filled or kind of empty? You know, it really varied. Some had so much food that they didn't know what was in it. Okay. And they ended up with a lot of actually bad food that they were throwing away. And other people had almost nothing. Yeah, ours is always empty because we're just buying for the day. Which is the way to go. So, yes, so then I uh, watched them cook, talked to them about cooking, and then I crafted a series of cooking lessons. And we did everything from knife skills to uh, actually just doing comparative tastings. I think one thing I learned was that people don't feel very comfortable or confident in their palates. And Mm -hmm. so we did that. We learned how to cut up whole chickens um, to replicate the woman in the supermarket, how to make vegetables, how to do simple vinaigrettes, a lot of really fundamental techniques. And which most of these women didn't have any idea how to do. And and I would consider them, I, I think a lot of the reviews of the book have said, oh, they're terrible cooks or they couldn't boil water or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that really wasn't true. I, I picked people who I thought considered themselves maybe not confident, but were sort of average, you okay. know, somewhat average cooks. And then I followed up with them in some cases up to a year later to find out what what changed? What had an impact? What can you teach people or what can people learn that will really change their habits when it comes to shopping and cooking? Before we find out how they've changed, you mentioned the foodie bubble mm-hmm. that a lot of us live in. Now, describe the foodie bubble and describe how you burst that bubble. Mm-hmm. Well, the foodie bubble is a magical place, David. <laughs> and as you know, I mean, everybody talks about smoked duck prosciutto. And we and, all talk like this about we, all the food that we eat. And we do all the time and yeah. perfect peaches and so on and, and name drop obscure chefs and all that kind of stuff. And and I think, you know, I think it's really common for food writers to 
to maybe even inadvertently be in that bubble because that's who you end up talking to people about. You know, that's Every who you day, talk yeah. to. And that's, you know, I read food magazines. I read a lot of food writing. And, and so to me, I think I really definitely had some distance between what I would say, once again, air bunnies, like average and normal people, mm-hmm. you know, talk about. I mean, I think if you're in the foodie bubble, for instance, everyone is talking about local and sustainable food. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine, but that message isn't getting to people. I mean, General Mills is still selling a ton of Hamburger Helper. I mean, not to single them out, but that message isn't getting to the people in the center aisles of the supermarket where I met that woman. Mm-hmm. And I actually think more food writers need to spend time there because to me, I feel that that's where a lot of the stories, the big stories generate things around obesity and cardiovascular disease and diabetes. And, uh, you know, a lot of that comes from where people are shopping and, and the, the decisions that they're making at that point, not just at the point where they're sitting down ready to eat. So reconcile this for me. We have Alice Waters. Mm-hmm. Okay. She was, the, I, I think, probably the epicenter mm-hmm. of that foodie bubble yes. where everything is local, everything's sustainable, everything is fresh, and everything is organic, which is extraordinarily expensive. So how does this woman who has a daughter, 11-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. buy and cook those kind of foods and still keep within budget? I think it's impossible personally. I, I think it's very difficult. I mean, I think that the message that Alice and, and a lot of other people are, are heralding is important mm-hmm. because I think it has to start somewhere and then it you know has a ripple effect. I mean, Walmart sells organic food not because – they're wildly altruistic. I mean, if people want it. it there's it. a demand for it, and you have to create that demand, and, and I think that demand has to come from somewhere. But the practical, what's the practical use of that? Yeah, I think the practical use of that is, you know, everybody has their own busy lives, and they're complicated. The food environment is incredibly complex mm-hmm. in our society. I mean, you drive down the street, and you see food everywhere, or what, you know, qualifies. Passes sort of for food. Food passes for food anymore. But I think that, you know, one of the things that we have to start to do is to really start having people realize that what they what they eat is important, that it isn't just about convenience, that can't be the number one mm-hmm. consideration, cost, and convenience. Um, because if, if you don't cook or you can't cook, then you end up relying on other people to feed you. Mm-hmm. And more and more often, those people are big companies. I mean, from toaster pastries in the morning to microwavable meals at lunch to the pizza you order out at night. I mean, that's letting a multinational who who their largest consideration is, you know, shareholders and mm-hmm. profits make decisions about what you eat. And I think when people start to realize that, really realizing that what they're eating is significant in terms of their own health, that it's not really any more expensive. I mean, you know, we've been fed a lie for decades. They've been telling us that Fruit Loops are part of a nutritious breakfast. That's simply not true. Maybe it is if you got the Fruit Loops and the orange juice and toast and everything else, but people kind of forgot that image and instead they just eat Fruit Loops. Okay. So then my question is we have the foodie bubble mm-hmm. with all that kind of luscious, wonderful food that all of us are eating and all of us are talking about and you have $4 and $5 peaches. And then you have someone who has 50 or 60 bucks to budget. I know when I was growing up, my mom, I think, had $25 a week to budget for food. Mm-hmm. And so how does someone move closer to eating some of that organic food and having more healthy food with such a small budget? That's a great question. And I think that everybody has to come up with some place that they feel comfortable, that is the most nourishing place that they can afford that fits mm-hmm. into their lifestyle, that is between Tuna Helper and Top Chef. I think 
a lot of cooking shows make it seem as if home cooks should cook like restaurant chefs, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. Restaurant chefs don't cook like restaurant know, chefs d- at home. At home, right? So, and I think a lot of that is about really thinking about cooking in a different way mm-hmm. to really simplify it, to use fewer ingredients, to cut out convenience foods because convenience foods are not a good value, and also to stop wasting food. And, and about that wasting food, that's a very interesting technique, which is why I want to talk to Liz about this. You have a post-it note technique. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. And I want to see what Liz does at the end of the week. Yeah. So the post-it note technique was actually inspired by my home visits. And when I went to people's homes, you were asking me, you know, did they have a lot of food? Did they not have a lot of food? Right. Many people in this particular group of nine and also in subsequent home visits that I've done shop at, say, warehouse stores Mm. for food. And they have a lot of food, whether it's in their pantries or whether it's in their freezers. I mean, freezers become like the land the time forgot very often. People also have a tendency to shop for their aspirational life, that Mm -hmm. they think that they're supposed to eat fruits and vegetables, so they buy fruits and vegetables. But then, you know, they make some other choice. They eat out, they make convenience food, they do something else. And then that beautiful mescaline salad like turns into this big green smear on the bottom. Right. Of their crisper drawer, yeah. And so, and I found that people who were buying in bulk or stocking up a lot had a tendency to really waste a lot of food. And Americans, in general, waste about 30 to 35% of all the food that they purchase. Mm -hmm. So 50 or $60 for a a week for an individual person is low. I mean, the average, like 3.8 people household Mm -hmm. or something in the United States spends about $700 on food. A week? A month. Oh, a month. But if you think about that, if you're wasting 30% of that, that's a significant cost. Mm -hmm. And so if you can regain that money back by eliminating waste, you can then use it to apply. Yeah, you you can apply it to, say, maybe buying a better quality produce Mm -hmm. or, you know, a really simple way to cut your food bill is not buy as much meat. Mm -hmm. I mean, one nutritionist who's in the book says, eat half as much meat, spend the same amount of money. Just get a better quality. But let's talk about this post-it note thing. I think it's very interesting oh, yes. what you did. Yeah. Explain that to the to our listeners. So what happened was after seeing all of this and witnessing it, I went home to my own kitchen mm-hmm. and I looked through what I was doing. And I was also wasting food and, and frustrated and trying to think of how I could keep track of it. So I actually just had a post-it notes on my kitchen counter and I went and I just started marking what everything costs and mm-hmm. tagging with a post-it note. So those beautiful baby eggplants I got from this farmer's market, six bucks. You know, the masculine salad, $3. The carrots were three or two and, you know, whatever. And anything that was perishable, mm-hmm. whether it was dairy or, or, you know, fruit or veg, I marked that. And whenever I had to throw something away, I took that post-it note and I put it on the inside of my cupboard. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, when you start really racking that money up, it's surprising, and it, it's distressing. Okay, I'm going to put our production staff on the spot. So I want to talk now to intern Liz here. I want to get her perspective. Tell me, Liz, at the end of the week, do you have a lot of stuff left over in the refrigerator that you throw out? Sometimes there are definitely things that don't make it. I would say salad greens are the biggest thing. But what I really try to do is kind of come up with like a plan, like a meal plan, you know. And it may not work out to the T that I use everything, but I really try to plan it out. Okay, this night I'm going to make this. Kind of plan out dinners a week in advance so I can try and use it all. But definitely salad greens often. I don't use yeah, them all. What, what happens with us is we go through these cleaning phases where we have to clean out the refrigerator. And it is embarrassing, I have to say, how much we do throw out because part of it is we do shop at Costco for Mm -hmm. some of the ingredients that we get. 
And after a while, that huge thing of mayonnaise goes bad because we can't use it all. And so actually we made the decision a couple of weeks ago that we're just shopping now at smaller markets for everything, no matter what it is, unless it's paper products or something that can't go bad. Mm-hmm. But we are very guilty of that. I think that technique is fantastic. I'm going to try using that because, you know, you, you know how much you pay, but you don't know how much you throw out. Absolutely. And none of us would throw a $5 bill in our trash. That's a very good point. And it couldn't be 30 or 40 or 50 bucks at the end of the week, depending upon how much you have stocked up. Oh, yeah. And it has gone bad. All right. So let's get back to the subjects of the book because I find this fascinating. These women that you taught how to cook, they went through six months with you, free cooking school. How did this experience change them? Well, every one of the women did have some sort of change. Some were more significant than others. Um, one woman, the woman who actually made the white trash garlic bread and in her microwave lasagna, and, right. and she was eating fast food every day. I mean, she actually even said that McDonald's equaled love to her because when she was a kid, her parents were divorced. And Whichever parent took her to McDonald's the most, that's who loved her the most. And mm. so she ate there every day, pretty much. Wow. And and she couldn't really use a knife, really had no fundamental skills, and, and didn't have any real whole foods in her, in her house. So mm. when I went back, she had actually gotten to the point where she was making casseroles from scratch and, um, you know, made no-need artisan bread and great with a knife. I mean, she was just immediately picked that up. But I thought one of the most interesting things was her change in her daily consumer habits, um, that she felt as if she didn't like eating at McDonald's anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she didn't really say, oh, I don't ever eat there. But, you know, it, it really seemed like it, it changed her perspective, which I thought was intriguing, that she would say, oh, well, you know, when you eat good food and you go and you eat bad food, you know, or, or fast food or, or whatever – it doesn't taste the same anymore. So it moved her along that continuum. Yeah. I mean, and, and the last time I checked in with her, she was actually talking about starting a food truck. I mean, it's a 180. Really? Yeah, that crazy. is a real 180. Yeah. But and I would I would say that the, the primary thing that I learned and that they seemed to, gra- to get out of the whole process mm-hmm. was confidence, that that seemed to be the missing ingredient. Interesting. I mean, I think that's because really since the 1950s, 1940s, a lot of our mothers stopped cooking. They were working and lost some of that passing down of how to cook, and suddenly the confidence all goes. Yeah. I mean, if you're not a confident cook, you look at a recipe and you just think, I don't know. That I'm not just seems. Do it. You know, we, we talk about having people cook whole foods all the time, but you know what? If you're going to cook with whole foods, first you have to cut them up. Yeah. And if you don't know how to use a knife, then, you know, that seems like a very labor intensive process. And so I think just, you know, breaking down some of those obstacles and the first one being knife skills and mm-hmm. then, you know, another being, hey, you know, here's what season to taste means. It's a very simple concept, but right. it should just, when you get done with the dish, it should just taste good to you. So we know how these women change. So you tell me, how did you go from the center of the foodie bubble to where you are now? What has changed for you after this experience? I think I'm a much simpler cook. Mm. I, I think I'm a little more suspicious of the foodie bubble. Mm-hmm. I think I'm much more likely now than than ever to pack up my knives and take them with me places and teach people how to use them. Interesting. I want to encourage everybody who is a good cook. You know, they can get a copy of this book, too. I mean, this isn't just aimed at people who are novices, but also to people who are avid home cooks. And how can they help the people around them? Because the greatest gift you can give to people is to make them feel comfortable in their own kitchens again. That's 
great. Okay, so I'm going to play this last-minute game with you, so spring it on you, mm-hmm. where I'm going to name something. You tell me a tip for our readers. Okay. Knives. Oh, yeah. I think everybody just needs one knife. Which really. is? A chef's knife. Okay. And then followed maybe by a paring knife or a bread knife. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan of blocks of knives. I've never seen anyone on Top Chef go whip out their utility knife or their vegetable knife. I don't even know what you're supposed to do with those knives. Okay. So, Produce. Uh Shop often. Mm-hmm. Buy only what you need and have a plan for it. Okay. Meat, red meat. Um, buy from somebody you know. I, I think that's really the key thing. I, I'm not a really big fan of supermarket beef anymore. But if you do, eat very little of it. Okay. Poultry. Start with a whole chicken. When you start with a whole chicken, not only is it less expensive, but you also are reminded that that was once a chicken. Mm-hmm. You know? And you can make stock, too. And you make stock. It doesn't seem like it's just some sort of, you know, sort of shapeless thing like, like it is when it's boneless and Not a little sanitary napkin in this package. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Fish. Go to seafoodwatch.org and get one of their little cards for wherever you live. Um, it's, you know, all about how to make good selections when you're eating fish. Okay. And that's great because sometimes you're not always cooking at home. You're cooking somewhere else in the country or the world. Or Nothing you're dining out. You're dining out. Yeah, that's a good point. And last, dairy. You know, I think there are, really, there are very few things that I really feel strongly about purchasing organic and that that would be it would be would be dairy or you know milk in particular mm-hmm. i i think that's one of the things that for any household where there's a lot of milk consumption it, it's worth the extra money Excellent. to to buy organic all right wonderful kathleen we're out of time but i want to thank you very much for being here i've really enjoyed speaking with you thank you it's been a pleasure david we've been chatting with kathleen flynn author of the kitchen counter cooking school as well as The Marvelous, The Sharper Your Knife, The Less You Cry, which I suggest you should get. Both of them are wonderful. I'm David Leet from Leeds Culinaria. Tune in soon for another episode of Author's Answers, the podcast that will always leave you hungry for more. 